There's one thing that the American Hauntings podcast knows about, and that's mothers. We featured a lot of great mothers in a lot of our episodes. Pearl Curran, Julia Lemp, Sarah Moore, Marie Laveau, Jane Mansfield, Tamsin Donner, Delphine LaLaurie, Belle Gunness. Okay, maybe leave out those last two. But what I'm saying is that with Mother's Day coming soon, you need a truly special gift for your mom because, well, she's not Belle Gunness. So let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that literally turns your mom's life story into a book. So here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your mom a question in her email, the same way she sends you questions about your dating life or when you plan to give her grandkids. Anyway, these can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. She replies by either typing in the answers or by recording her own voice. Then mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a keepsake book. And they can create an audiobook that uses her voice recordings, preserving her voice and her stories forever. As anyone who doesn't have their mom around anymore can tell you, having your mother's stories about growing up, being a kid, and overcoming life's challenges will be something that you and your kids will treasure. And let's be honest, your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a very cool way to share them. Honestly, I decided to try this out for myself and I sent it to my mom. And she's not exactly a whiz at computers, but she still found it really easy to use. My mom might have had a little more unusual childhood than a lot of mothers do. So I'm really glad to have this. And I think you'll be glad to give one to your mother too. So check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code HAUNTINGS at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code HAUNTINGS for 10% off today. There's no shortage of entertainment in downtown Alton, especially when it comes to bars and taverns. As anyone who has stumbled along the sidewalk downtown late on a Saturday night can tell you, you can find all kinds of places to get a drink. Wine bars, martini bars, dive bars, Irish pubs, you name it. Alton has had a long history with booze, dating back to the very start of the town. One of the first establishments that opened for business in Alton back when Rufus Easton was still laying out the place was a tavern. And sure, taverns were a little different back then and were more of an inn than a saloon, but hey, they still had liquor on hand. The Alton Riverfront with its travelers, steamboat crewmen, and quarry workers, all who loved brawling and drinking contests and were always thirsty, well, they always had saloons offering something to quench that thirst. In the 19th century, downtown Alton was also home to several quality brewers who supplied the city with beer. In the early days, most beer was shipped to town from St. Louis, but by the 1830s, it was decided we needed a brewery of our own. The first was started by Philip Yakel, who also opened a saloon on 5th Street. He and his partners founded the Union Brewery. There was also the Keelian Brothers Ale Brewery in 1845 and the Alton Brewery a short time later. It had a brewery and a malt house on the old Plank Road. 
After that, there was the Western Brewery and then the Cooper Brewery, which opened just before the Civil War. In February 1862, a boiler exploded there and the blast was heard for a mile in every direction. Only Richard Cooper was near the boiler when it blew up, but he was sheltered from flying debris by two empty beer kegs. The most famous of the Alton Breweries, Bluff City, was started by William Netzhammer in 1883. He originally lagered the German-style beer he made in caves located under the city before investing in ice-making facilities in 1890. Bluff City was later purchased by Anton Reck, and he created a rivalry with the town's only other major brewer, the Alton Brewery, until Prohibition crippled them both. Bluff City would survive those tough times by selling ice, but the Alton Brewery was shut down for good. Bluff City thrived in the years that followed, quenching the thirst of Alton residents for a couple more decades. The company grew during the 1930s and added several special brews, including one only sold at Christmas time. Many of the labels from the 1930s listed the main ingredient of the beer as Alton Lake Water, which is curious since there's no lake in town, but maybe that sounded better than water from the Mississippi River which was actually its main ingredient. Bluff City struggled through the shortages caused by World War II and by 1951 existed on paper only. No more beer was being made at the factory at Pearl and Union Streets. Today, the name is still with us, but the beer, well, it's a thing of the past. As I mentioned, Alton has had a long history with booze and it's always been a thirsty place. Even during Prohibition, that ill-conceived law that banned booze and liquor across the country, well, Alton was considered a lost cause. The mayor at the time, Stephen Crawford, did make an honest effort to uphold the law, despite the lack of interest from the public and the police. He forced law enforcement officials to raid local bootlegging operations and speakeasies, but the makers and sellers of illegal hooch were usually out of jail within a day or two. Prohibition was no more popular in Alton than anywhere else in the United States, although the Mississippi River did provide some bootleggers with a novel approach for getting their wares to the public. Many of them would cruise up and down the river, selling liquor from a boat, always staying out of the jurisdiction of local police departments. So I think we can say there are two things that Alton loves, booze and ghosts. And in this special episode, we'll introduce you to a couple of places, well, that just may have both. Welcome to a special On the Side podcast from American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to bringing you the history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of our hometown, Alton, Illinois. Yes, we are back home again, and this is episode six of an offshoot of the regular podcast, going back to our very beginning with updates and a lot of new stories from season one of the show, which delved into the history and mystery of Alton. And why return to season one? Well, for one thing, the sound was terrible back then, and we also ended up leaving a lot of things out, which was completely my fault. So last year, after doing a lot of additional research, I published a new edition of Haunted Alton, and we wanted to bring some of that material here so that Cody and I could revisit some old stories, offer some updates, and bring you some brand new tales from one of the most haunted small towns in America. 
Alton, Illinois. One of the largest drinking establishments in downtown Alton, and definitely one of the busiest, is Max Time Out a sprawling, multi-level, multi-bar food and drinking spot that's thrived for years along Bell Street. But Max was not the first building located on that spot. The first was the Mercantile Building, which was constructed back in the 1850s. Over the decades, it was home to a number of things, an opera house, a jewelry store, a drugstore, a grocery store, the Naval Militia Armory, and the Commercial Club. It was, the stories say, also home to a plethora of ghosts. Augustine Root, the original owner of the Mercantile Building on Bell Street, was born in Montague, Massachusetts in December 1829. His father was a farmer and moved his young family to Vermont, where Augustine attended school. When he was only 20, he borrowed $40, packed up, and left home to pursue his fortune. His travels took him west, and he ended up in Alton in 1849. His first job was working as a clerk in the hardware store of Arba Nelson and then for another hardware firm owned by the Topping Brothers. He saved his money and eventually started his own company with Anson B. Platt. During the Civil War, they sold hardware and stoves and made a fortune selling cattle to the military, but that business ended when Platt died. But Augustine had a nest egg, and while working in the farm implement business, he invested in real estate and railroads and became involved in banking in St. Louis and Alton. He was in business with prominent Alton man John Hayner for a time, invested in the Silgro Iron Store, was vice president of the St. Louis National Bank and director of the Alton Savings Bank. He became one of the richest men in town when he was only 30 years old. In 1865, he married Harriet Eaton daughter of a well-known steamship owner, Captain Nathaniel Eaton, and they raised five children together. All the while, Augustine was still making money hand over fist, expanding his real estate holdings and constructing the Mercantile Building, which was home to offices, retail space, and what became the town's most sensational live theater. In 1882, Augustine, or more likely his wife, decided that Alton needed some culture and he opened the Root Opera House in the Mercantile Building. Its second and third floors were converted into a theater with a large semicircle gallery. It was only the second entertainment spot to open in town. The other theater at that time was inside a city hall and the only one to offer large capacity seating for many years. Thanks to this, the Opera House became the social center of Alton and it hosted parties, plays, dances, and political rallies. John Mather managed it, a cousin of the famed architects, the Pfeifenberger brothers, who would go on to design the Temple Theater in 1891. And the opening of that new theater led to the closing of the Opera House a short time later. Other theaters followed, leaving the Root Opera House outdated and behind the times. But while it struggled through its final years of business, rumors spread that the theater was haunted. As almost anyone fascinated with hauntings can tell you, there's an adage that states that, quote, every good theater has a ghost. If true, then the Root Opera House was no exception. Customers, ushers, and staff members alike reported that strange sounds and unexplained footsteps were common in the theater at night. An opera house manager once reported that while making sure the auditorium was empty one night after a show, he encountered a woman sitting in one of the front seats near the orchestra pit. 
The grayish figure was sitting upright in the seat, looking straight ahead, as if watching something on the stage, even though the theater was dark, quiet, and otherwise empty. He could barely see the shape because the house lights were so dim, but he knew she was there. By the time he reached the front of the theater, though, the woman had vanished. Other apparitions were also spotted, sometimes by theater patrons. Several people claimed they'd seen blurry shapes in the rows of auditorium seats, while others spoke of seeing them on the stairs or hearing footsteps coming down the steps toward them when there was no one there. The old stories continued to be told even after the theater closed, but a few years later, they were replaced by new ones. Augustine Root sold the building soon after the Opera House closed. He died in 1906 after being bedridden with a severe illness for more than 18 months. Henry McPike had purchased the mercantile building and he had it divided into several stores, offices, and organizations, and at least one of those was vocal about its resident ghost. In 1896, the Alton Naval Militia rented out space in the McPike building. The unit had been mustered into service on February 1st, 1896 by Captain D.C. Daggett from Moline, then commander of the 2nd Battalion. But even before that, a group of about 40 young men had banded together under the name of the Morrell Guards. They started holding regular drill meetings in the building. While this was happening, several prominent men, including Senator C.A. Erb, were trying to get the guards an official place in the naval militia. Well, they succeeded a short time later and served during the Spanish-American War. Well, it was in November 1897 that one of the young men attached to the unit had a terrifying experience in the building, the same building where the haunted opera house had been. Dionysus Woods was a popular mascot of the Alton Naval Militia. As an African-American man, he was not allowed to join in those days, but he often accompanied the men on their outings, and he also ensured the hall was kept clean. The Naval Militia Hall was a familiar place to Woods. He'd been in the building countless times at all hours of the day and night, and thought nothing of going in late in the evening to sweep the floors and empty the trash until the night when he swore he'd never go back into the place by himself again. Woods had picked up the keys and went over to clean the hall. He hadn't been gone long when he came hurrying back with the keys in his hand. He was frightened and visibly shaking and said that under no circumstances would he be going back to finish the job that night. He nervously explained that he had not been working long when his attention was grabbed by a shadow that passed by him. He turned around quickly and saw the shape of what seemed to be a man's head ducking out of sight around a corner. When it vanished, strange sounds followed. Weird shrieks, knocking, and laughter that seemed to be coming from under the stage. He also said that he saw a shovel that had been standing in the corner start to jump up and down, moving across the floor in his direction. If anything happened after that, Wood said he didn't see it because he'd already run out the door. Whatever happened that night in November 1897 was never explained. Woods was likable, loyal, and always truthful. The men from the unit had no reason to believe he'd made anything up, especially in light of the ghost stories that had been spreading about the building just a few years before. But years passed, and eventually the Alton Naval Militia followed in the footsteps of the Root Opera House and faded out of existence. Other spots took its place, like the Golding Jewelry Store, Thrifty Drug, Low Arts Grocery Store, the Commercial Club, and now 
Max Time Out Lounge. The last time ghosts were reported here was back in 1897, but that doesn't mean the place has no more stories to tell. Do those ghosts still walk on Bell Street? Maybe, or maybe not, but it is something worth wondering about the next time you happen to be there, sitting on a bar stool, drinking an ice-cold beer. The story of our other haunted drinking spot dates all the way back to Halloween of 1868. It wasn't a tavern back then, it was the first national bank, located just steps away from the Mississippi River in downtown Alton. Now, I'm always the first to admit that the river was what built Alton and made it great. It brought wealth to town, but it also brought crime and criminals, which could often turn downtown Alton into a dangerous place. In the early morning hours of that October 31st, there were those out on the streets that night who were startled by cries of murder and gunshots. Witnesses saw a struggle between several men at the side door of the bank. Concerned citizens rushed to the scene and spotted three men fleeing toward the river. They also found a longtime night watchman named M.H. Filey lying on the street near death. A single bullet had struck him in the heart. Burglars had apparently forced open the side door of the bank and had gotten inside. They pried open the iron doors of the vault but hadn't been able to open the safe filled with cash that was inside of it. It was assumed that Filey had noticed something peculiar going on in the bank, probably the lights of the men trying to see to open the vault, and had gone around the side of the building to surprise them. Before he could reach the side door, he was spotted by one of the robbers who rushed outside and attacked him. Filey managed to overpower the man and force him to the ground, but the sounds of the struggle brought the other bandits outside. Several shots were fired, and one of the bullets hit Filey in the chest. The robbers fled in different directions. One of them was tracked quite some distance up Short Street using drops of blood, which suggested he'd been wounded, and another left an overcoat behind at the scene. The coat, though, held no clue as to the owner's identity. Filey, who never had the chance to remove his pistol from its holster, lived only eight minutes after assistance arrived. He was never able to tell anyone exactly what had happened. His body was taken to the Franklin house just two doors north of the bank where a post-mortem examination showed that death had occurred from a bullet passing through his heart. He'd also been beaten in the head by some sort of metal bar, likely in the initial struggle. A coroner's jury later stated that his death had been caused by a person or persons unknown. And they remain unknown to this day because Filey's murder was never solved. The watchman's funeral was held on November 2nd. His body was laid out at his home on State Street and he was honored as a member of the Odd Fellows. The services were attended by the mayor and city council and the funeral was, in 1868, the largest ever held in Alton. But of course, that wasn't the end of the story. Filey's killers were still on the loose. Every effort was made to find them, but no solid clues were discovered. There had been a report of a fishing boat stolen from some folks on the riverbank, and police assumed the robbers had used it to escape. In addition to the overcoat that had been dropped in the street, two other coats were found at the edge of the river, along with a large carpet bag that contained a set of burglary tools. The bandits had not been able to break into the bank's safe, but they had managed to clean out the cash drawers of all the coins that were on hand. A $1,000 reward was offered for the capture of the killers, but it was never claimed. 
Years passed and the men who killed M.H. Filey were never found. But we can't say the same for some of the loot they made off with from the bank. In 1903, 35 years after the robbery, the Bluffline Railroad was laying foundations for additional tracks along the river when one of the workmen made a startling discovery. When he shoved his spade down into the riverbank, he heard a metallic clink. He shoved aside the loose dirt and sand and uncovered the rotting remains of a cloth bag that contained dozens and dozens of old coins. They were mostly one, two, and three cent pieces, dated 1865. Some of the same coins reported missing after the robbery at the First National Bank. Some of the money from the robbery had been found, even if the men who had stolen it had not. Well, time passed and downtown Alton changed. By the early 1900s, Alton was no longer a thriving river port. Businesses moved and they changed too. The First National Bank moved to a new location a block away at 3rd and State Streets. And in the years that followed, the original building went through a series of owners to end up with the restaurant and pub that's located there today. In the first season of the podcast, we told you the story of the robbery and the haunting that took place in the years that followed at the home of M.H. Filey on State Street. But we didn't tell you about the ghost that still lingers at the site of what used to be the First National Bank, the place where Filey actually died. What I'll tell you first is that it's my favorite pub in town, not only for the food, but because it's the only place in Alton to get a proper Guinness pour. It's Morrison's Irish Pub. The pub opened back in 2015 and is a family-run labor of love with a hand-built bar and tables, authentic Irish food, most of the ingredients for which are imported straight from Ireland and the UK, and of course, a selection of Irish beers and whiskeys. It also has, according to many accounts, a resident ghost. Over the past few years, strange happenings have occurred at the pub. It's the usual stuff you might expect from a haunted place. Footsteps, unexplained sounds, flickering lights, you know the kind of thing I mean. But there's another unusual thing that occurs that you won't hear about with pretty much anywhere else in our haunted little town. It's a telltale sign that seems to link the resident ghost with the violent event that occurred in the building in 1868. The thing was, when it started happening, the owner who first noticed it had no idea what it meant. Above the pub is an apartment, which is pretty common in downtown Alton. Years ago, those spaces were often used for storage, additional space, and sometimes living quarters for those who own the business below. And that hasn't changed much including at Morrison's. But it was the occupants of that apartment who first started to notice the odd things. You see, those things appeared all over the place. So many, it couldn't be an accident, a coincidence, or someone leaving them behind as a joke. And what were those things? Pennies. Lots and lots of pennies. And they were always found face up. They were on the floor, on the table, on the shelves, in the kitchen. And then they started showing up downstairs too, on the bar, behind the bar, on chairs. They just kept popping up. Why? Well, that was what one of the owners wanted to know. Not only could she not figure out who was leaving the coins all over the place, she couldn't understand why they were leaving them or how they were doing it. The door to the apartment had been locked. No one else could get inside. The same could be said for the pub. The coins appeared in the morning after the place had been closed and locked up for the night, and yet, here were the pennies. 
This went on for weeks until finally one morning she spotted a penny that had appeared overnight. She knew it hadn't been there the previous evening because it was sitting on top of a book that she had been reading before bed. The book? <laughs> yep, Haunted Alton, which just happened to contain the story about the robbery, the death of M.H. Filey, his haunted house, and the discovery of those coins along the river which had been left behind by the bandits. Suddenly, the coins started to make sense and she decided there was no explanation for how and why the coins mysteriously appeared other than a ghost was leaving them, that is. Like, <laughs> yeah, around a little bit, yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, thanks for returning with us to Alton, Illinois, for a special series of podcasts from American Hauntings. We're taking a trip back in time, sort of, to the first season of the show, which collected some of the most famous stories from one of the most haunted small towns in America. But it turns out we left out a, but it turns out we left out a lot of really good ones. So we're back in Alton for more. We've got old stories with updates and new stories that Troy managed to dig up for the new edition of his book, Haunted Alted. So buckle up. And by the way, I'm your co-host, Cody Beck. And with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Yep. Uh, with episode six. So we're episode six, ready man. to roll here. I know we're uh, we're uh, doing some new stuff and it's been fun i have to admit i have had a good time doing this dude but I i've will, learned i've learned uh, so much it, well yeah it, it it was one of those things where i you know um ended up learning a lot of things that i didn't know the first time around so it's been cool i i've really enjoyed it hell yeah um it was, it was something i was i was thinking about i mean there's a few different things obviously but um it's interesting to think about i love alton i love the history i like to know at least enough i'm not i'm not uh, history buff like you are or anything but but i like to at least know some things but thinking about just like these places that i've been to these sidewalks i've walked down or these streets that i've been on in, in, whether in traditional normal capacity or finding <laughs> myself there by myself you know like in a crazy <laughs> yeah but yeah. just that so much shit has happened like sometimes oh, I, I might be walking down a spot where someone got murdered yeah you know exactly. or like something crazy yeah. happened and it's so yeah. interesting to hear these stories um yeah. it, it's bizarre there's so much history yeah, I, well, think that's I mean that was the this. reason that we did this in the first place is because you wanted to know so i wanted to know here we are <laughs> okay well then i need you to teach me something and i <laughs> i might be just like kind of digging a, a... okay what's the difference between an inn a tavern and a saloon um okay so they used to call taverns um okay so an inn would be like a compared to like a bed and breakfast okay somewhere you can okay, say so, yes and a tavern would be the same type of thing in those days yes there would probably be ale or something available uh but mostly it was a place for you to stay and you could get food and drink 
Okay. Um, that was a tavern back in the day. Now we call taverns, you know, we call bars taverns. It's kind of inter- you know, it, it eventually, it, yeah. But after sure. prohibition, tavern became more known as something other than just um, not a, a place where you would spend a night. Okay. Um, but yeah, and then a saloon would, of course, would just be a place that you would come in to get a drink. So Got like a, we'd call a bar today. But the confusion there is that the bar is the actual piece of furniture that is in the saloon. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's it just depends on how you want to use it. And when you write, I mean, when I write, I, um, you know, I I use tavern, saloon and bar interchangeably because it stops it from being boring. So, yeah. (laughs) okay, Yeah. So so they were kind of distinct, but then it got a little muddied. Right. 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 Over time, it has gotten muddy. But yeah, like, in you know, in the early early days of Alton, you know, taverns at those at that point would have been something that was, uh, you know, kind of a three way kind of thing where mm-hmm. you could get a drink, you'd get food and it's someplace you could spend a night. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be a hotel, which would be only for spending the night. It wouldn't be in, later. They would start putting t- <laughs> saloons into hotels. So yeah, it's got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so I'm yeah. right to be confused. So stop before your head explodes <laughs> and do you know at what point do you know at what point when they then adopted just bar as they placed not no not really i i'm sure i mean it's probably something that could be looked up yeah Uh, it'd be kind of hard to i mean it'd be something hard to google but sure probably got 20 books on you know there's a great book on the history of american taverns called america walked into a bar and it's a good book you know it's um and, and it kind of is the history of how all that happened. Um, so I, I couldn't tell you the date off the top of my head, but I'm sure you can find it in that book. And Got it. Well, yeah, so you said we're pretty much going to talk about two things today and some of Alton's favorite things, which are uh, basically drinking and <laughs> and ghosts. And I think yeah. that one of them might lead to me becoming the other one. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, right. there's, you taught me so many things. So uh, Union Brewery, Keeley and Brothers Ale Brewery, Western Brewery, Cooper Brewery. Yeah, we had a lot Bruff of breweries. You know? Yeah, Bluff mm-hmm. City. Yeah, yeah. Bluff City, I mean, that's a name we all know. Um, and that's probably yeah. the easiest one to find um memorabilia from uh-huh. because it you know it made it all the way past world war ii uh which nobody else did so that was you know an accomplishment right there um you know most of that stuff got bought out early mm-hmm. on um they get absorbed into other breweries and that kind of thing so that's where a lot of them disappeared too i mean i i go into a little bit deeper depth on on in in some things i've written I didn't think we needed a, a breakdown of every single brewery and distillery sure. in Alton for this These are still episode. still nice new ones to know. Yeah. yeah, I thought they were ones that we should know. You know, the Alton Brewery and Bluff City. Those were the two big ones. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that lasted the longest. And Prohibition put the Alton Brewery out of business. It did not bounce back, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like the Lemp Brewery. Yeah. Uh, Bluff City allegedly sold just ice. I'm sure they allegedly did. during yeah, big swishy but, quotes. But listen, Alton was not, you know, I mean, you know, Alton, as I mentioned here, Alton Prohibition was about as successful in, in Alton as it was anywhere else. Uh-huh. Not very. Sad, but not Alton all. yeah, was yeah. not famous for speakeasies. And I mean, yes, we every town had them. Every town had bootleggers. Every town. There's no no, there's no town that I can I've ever run across that didn't have at least one speakeasy, even if it was some dude's basement. Yeah. And one bootlegger who was making his own beer in town and, and selling it or giving it to his friends. But Alton was not known for being this, 
you know, the wettest town or in the area or anything. That's East St. Louis, man. I mean, mm-hmm. East St. Louis was wide open during prohibition. Yeah, I mean, that still, was still kind of is. Yeah. And swell. It's a, it's a whole, it's different now, but then it was, you know, it was speakeasies and, and liquor everywhere. Yeah. Alton was never like that. It just wasn't. I mean, they, we had a, we had a mayor and a, and, and a police force that was actually making some effort uh, they did lock, you know, they did close some things down. Nobody stayed in jail for long. Nobody took it very seriously in Alton, yeah, but right. it was not famous. You know, it was not little Chicago or anything like that. There were much more famous towns in this area known for bootlegging and speakeasies. It wasn't Alton, uh, but yeah. you know, we had, a, we had good breweries. I mean, we sure. did have good beer here in town. Apparently I've never actually tasted, right. Like, I would not want it uh, from bottled from the late 19, no, no. but I do, I did appreciate the labels and I did think it was worth mentioning that they did say that they bottled their beer or made their beer with Alton Lake water. Yeah, what the hell is that? That is the best. Well, also, (laughs) Troy, I would just say like, if you took it, I would just be real. If you took both of us and put us at 25 years old back then you and I would have been in some sketchy shit oh, with God, all that. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. yeah, we talked about that before. I, I guarantee I would have been in the bootlegging yeah. business. I, Hell yeah. There was no way around it. I mean, right. you know, again, you're just giving people what they wanted. I mean, you don't have to kill everybody to do it. Right. I mean, you know, I doubt the competition would be all that bad in Alton, <laughs> you know, so yeah, it'd probably be uh, it'd probably be pretty easy. So we would have figured out something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Bluff City, so Pearl in Union. Um, from those of you not too familiar from Alt, uh, with Alton, I grew up a quarter of a mile from that intersection. Um, yeah, that, the that's building, just... There's some buildings still there. Oh yeah, there yeah. are buildings. Yeah, absolutely. If you go by there, you'll find that it's still up on the you know on the 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 stone. It still says the brewery on there. Yes. So yeah, there's still stuff around. Yeah, yeah. So that's if for anybody just want more context, that is exactly where I grew up. Um, more funny. Alton. So Max Timeout. Um, well, I wanted to ask you, what is because I know you've had shops and things like, but what is mercantile mer- mercantile? What does it mean exactly? Oh, well, he called it the mercantile building. It was uh, mercantiles were just kind of like a, a small department store kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh-huh. you wouldn't call it a department store. Um, but he called it a mercantile building because there were several other businesses in there and they were all selling some types of goods, dry okay. goods, hardware, whatever. And so that's what he called it when he built it. And, um, you know, it was the root building. It was he called it the mercantile building. And part of it is still there. I mean, part of that building is still there um, next to Max. If you look up, the tall building is the old building. Yeah, um, there's just been a big portion of it has been torn down. And then Max has kind of been. Uh, you can look at a blueprint. I in the um, or not a blueprint, but a uh, a plat map of the street in mm-hmm. the new edition of Haunted Alton. I put one in there so that people could see where Max sits now and where the building was, and mm-hmm. so you get a better idea of exactly where it was. That whole big block there, which you know, Max getting pretty close to owning the whole block. You know what? Good there's for him. still a few things. Yeah, good for him, but. Um, but a lot of that was the footprint of, uh, of the root building. And like I said, part of it is still there. Yeah. And for people that don't know, also, um, you will not get to see this, but Max also has uh, a basement. Yes. It has underground levels Mm -hmm. and yeah. And then there are lofts, um, in what's left of the root building. Yes. Yeah. 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 But the basement is terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's different. Um, I mean, parts of it are. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, we don't have to get into all that. No, but yeah, but no, it's no, there. Not at all. Um, but uh but it yeah, it's a big spot. It's a busy spot. It and is. it's got a multiple bars and multiple rooms and you know, brunch rooms and event rooms. It's a big place. It is. And you can see where it fit in where the you know, this big mercantile building was. Absolutely. So. Um, uh, Augustine Root becomes one of the richest men in town at only 30 years old. So I feel mm-hmm. like I've done nothing with my life. <laughs> right. Um, but you see the, the building at one point had a had a theater and, and yes. you know, an opera and everything. So this was like yeah. probably a pop and kind of. Spot yeah, it was. It was um, in 1882. We didn't have an opera house. We had we had one theater in town at the time and it was in City Hall. It was the only one we had. And so his, I'm going to, I suggest it was his wife that convinced him we needed some culture, but but he opened the Root Opera House and he took the second and third floors of the building and converted it into a big uh, semicircle theater. It was the largest seating in town at the time and for a long time until, you know, another opera house opened a few years later when that one opened, then uh, he kind of let this one close down because it was bigger and better kind of thing. And mm-hmm. he w- really wasn't wanting to compete. He just opened it up because he felt like we needed something in town at the time. So that's how it got opened. And uh, I don't honestly, I'd love to tell you how the ghost stories got started, but I have absolutely no idea. Sure. Um, there, there, I can't find any history that would explain why it was haunted it was just one of those things where stories got started and that's every theater though pretty much of course yeah any any any, you know as we call them legitimate theaters it's not a movie theater that's how they used to refer to them at least (laughs) in the early days when movie theaters and nickelodeons first started they were seedy sorted um well kind of like actors and actresses were back in the 19th century right, right, right. movies came along they were the you know the ugly stepchild to real theater mm-hmm. and so especially an opera house which again that's a one of those things like tavern bar and inn opera house did not mean that they performed uh opera there women in big horned helmets okay. performing italian the, the, operas the, the, they the didn't have that there but it was all kinds of entertainment. It was it was musical. It was singing. Uh, it might be actual opera, but it would also be plays and things too. It was mm-hmm. it was more of a general theater art art thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a general theater. But you know, some of the stories you know stuck around. I mean, they don't seem to be, and they seem to have been. It's not like Augustine Root was wandering around because he loved this theater so much, which you often hear with haunted theaters. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, you know, he died after, you know, after he closed. I mean, after he closed the place, he, he sold it and then died a, a little while later. Um, and then Henry McPike, owner of the McPike Mansion, uh, bought the building. And he's the one who kept it going for a number of years after that. Yeah. And See, closed the opera house and started, you know again filling it up with other things sure yeah it is uh, that's something i did want to talk about because i you know i went to uh, i graduated with uh two of the mcpikes um jane and christina they're, they're great and i i've learned a lot about mcpike through them and through the podcast and everything i was i just i was very i was very curious about like how i said like yeah you and i 25 would have been doing some bootleg and shit but like <laughs> but also like what would it have been like to be a big fish in a small pond like all yeah. um, back to be then. a hainer, a hainer. or a yes. mcpike yes. or or augustine root or right. captain sparks or uh-huh. one of these guys or a member of their family back at you know the turn of the last century yeah. the late 1800s yeah. early 1900s yeah 
I don't know, man. It um, they own so many things. Um, you find, you know, you think of the McPike Mansion. Everybody thinks of that, but they don't think about like the old Cracker Factory downtown. Um, Henry McPike owned that. He owned tons of real estate, or the Lures Brothers that owned the Mineral Springs. And mm-hmm. we'll, you know, we'll get to that in our last episode of this, you know, revisit. But um, but I mean, these guys own so much property and so many things in town. I I can't imagine what that must have been like yeah you know it's just um and then like you said though big fish in a in a small place uh but they certainly were you know yeah yeah oh that would have been awesome um okay the last thing i want to talk about that let's let's jump to the first national bank um mh uh filey lying dead in the street this so just we talked about that yeah we did talk about that in in our original season in our haunted house section he he is not the man with the steps and that was kidnapped and all that sort of no 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 okay no good good, no this this is the guy who was the night watchman he had a house up on state street and there were there were footsteps and things in the house remember it was a um it was a girl who had sent in that st- or given that story to a friend of mine who sent it on to me. Mm-hmm. And then we used it in the last, in the very first season right. in our haunted house section, but that's the same guy. So that house where he lived was said to be haunted, but mm-hmm. so is the place where he died. But right, right. I'm not convinced that the ghost that haunts the location now is him. Uh-huh. I think it might be one of the guys now trying to repay what they did. Right. So, so yeah, that's so my thought. Because 35 years later, a railroad worker finds a bag of coins. Mm-hmm. Um, where oh, Just well, one of them, because there were a lot. Of, they had several. How, so. would you, how would you, I mean, I guess you got to cut losses, but like, wouldn't you come back for some of them? Well, I don't know. It's something? 1868. Well, they didn't, it wasn't all the coins they took. It was uh-huh. just one of the bags must have gotten dropped and okay. they needed to escape because they had just murdered someone. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, which they yeah. didn't plan on doing. Well, I mean, I don't think never they starts planned out to that kill way. him, you know, because he's the one who, you know, he came after them and, and kind of upped the violence in the whole thing. Uh-huh. And the guy went out to confront him, but I think he would have been happy to just knock him out and they could have taken off. But, you know, guns came out and, you know, things got really ugly. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not blaming him for his death. I'm oh, just sure. saying. And in 1868, a bag of coins, even one, two and three cent pieces would have added up to a decent amount of money when sure. you're taking all the coins out of the till yeah. and taking off with it. I mean, they didn't get any of the bills because they were all locked up in the, in the safe. Great bank and robbers. They yeah. couldn't. Yeah. They're terrible bank robbers, obviously, you know, nobody, no bank robber wants to leave bodies behind, you know, that's, that's how well, you end up hanged instead well, that's, of just locked up for a couple of months. That's you the know? thing now too, though. It's like, if you kill someone during the uh, yeah. commission of a crime, yeah, yeah you yeah. all are fucked. Yeah. And so, so nobody wanted that but yeah so i'm guessing they probably in their haste to get away one of them lost the bag you know with the coins in it and then when they were digging up for the railroad bed for the new lines they they found them. found the coins and they're like oh okay well here's some of them so at least we know they <laughs> went this way you know yeah and i think that was what they they figured out and yeah occupants above that supported area uh they, they would report weird things like a ton of pennies would appear always face yeah. up yeah. Um, something yeah. I wanted to talk to you about too, because I don't know if I've told you about this, but um, someone told me after and my father passed away um, la- 
April of 2022. Mm-hmm. And so, somebody had told me about like, uh, oh, loved ones will like often like leave you dimes. And I was like, that sounds weird. But I looked into it. And stuff I was, like that too. It, yeah. But I was like, oh, it's this isn't something that they just made up. I was like, this is like a, a it's thing. a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. And so now nowadays I collect any dime that I ever randomly find. Oh yeah. And I yeah. put it in this jar right next to his uh, his picture. And my my buddy actually got me a, a thing from Target and it says like dad jokes loading. It has like a loading bar. And he's like, I figured you could like put your dimes in it. And I was like, that's amazing. So I put, <laughs> yeah. all, my, I put all the dimes that I find yeah. in there. Um, yeah. And yeah, who and who fucking knows if it, I, I don't know anything, but worst case scenario, if I fill it up, eventually I'll have like 200 bucks. Like, yeah. Just like well, and, it, you, and know? you know, and this was just funny because it's, I mean, it's Morrison's. And so, you know, I love Morrison's anyway. Uh, But then I heard this story from one of the owners and Mm -hmm. um, she was telling me about and had no idea. I didn't know anything about knew nothing. No, she didn't know about the, you know, about the coins, the robbery, nothing. And these pennies just started showing up everywhere all over the house and in the bar and and now and things still happen. They happen in the bar and upstairs in that hey, building. If you're in Morrison's and, um, and you find pennies, let us. Yeah, know. but she finds a penny and and she knew it wasn't there, and it's sitting on top of a copy of Haunted Alton. Yeah, that then has the story of the Filey house and the robbery in it. You know, and it's like, oh my god, <laughs> I mean, that's how I heard the story. You know, so <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 funny. Why you know, why so. is it like? I love that kind of stuff. A penny face up on a copy of Haunted Alton or whatever. But like, what is it that it has to be that kind of shit as opposed to just like a ghost coming out of you and just being like, yo. I know, right? Right. Wouldn't it just be easier if they just show up and go, hey, listen, I, you know, I did something. Yeah. It was 1868. Yeah, right? I was stupid. You know, I got involved yeah. in this robbery. It was the other guy's fall and the gun. I accidentally killed this guy. And so I'm feeling really bad about it. So I'm trying to make up for it here. So yeah. I'm just going to kind of start dropping off money here mm-hmm. and there when mm-hmm. I've got it, you know, a little extra to spare. I'm going to leave some laying around. And uh, <laughs> so you'll know it's me. If you yeah. find something, you'll you'll know it's me. Is it? And then and then he could just go on his way, and then he yeah. could just drop off pennies when he feels like. Are you? Yeah. It's a good. There ha- are there Maybe it just like, takes too much effort. Well, there has know? to be like ghost rules and regulations or something. Maybe. Like we just yeah, don't maybe. know about. Remember, or remember in uh, the ghost that Patrick Swayze movie? Remember when he? Yeah. They had to, the guy was teaching the, him how to like make the the cans the, move in the subway. Oh, well, I remember you know? the I remember the penny. Oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so you know, maybe there's just some kind of rule, and this guy just doesn't have the mm. hang of it. Obviously, not a genius. I mean, <laughs> you know, we've already figured that out. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's all it is. Yeah, I just can't I'll, quite figure it out. Yeah, I'll speak ill of the dead when you're yeah. a criminal like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I've I've told people before. I'm like, people are like, oh, you know, if I die, I'll send a butterfly or you'll see this whatever and i'm like you know what no here's what i'm gonna do yeah i'm gonna send a flamingo because if you see flamingo in st (laughs) louis yeah you're going to know you're gonna know i'm not gonna leave anything up to chance like so yeah if you see a flamingo it'll be me um oh man well dude yeah i thank you again like i i love learning more about alton and just in in, especially places i've been so many times and walking around and just thinking and now just knowing like something crazy happened here tragic yeah. and but also yeah. i think there's a lot of things like there's think about the things that 
we're so happy that we don't like probably engagements oh, sure. or people falling yeah. in yeah, love yeah. or meeting yeah. for the first time and all. No, so yeah. many strong emotions in these places that I don't think twice about because I, I mean right. I wouldn't know. Um, right. But it's nice to it's nice to think about. But yeah, but hey man, that that's all I got. All right, cool, cool, cool. So, all right, well, I guess we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Uh, if you guys are listening to this and maybe you don't listen to our regular show, um, I don't know why you wouldn't, but maybe you don't. Um, but if you would like another show from us, we do have our um, our Patreon podcast that we do. We're in the middle. I'm not even going to say we're in the middle. We're yeah, somewhere don't, don't in that. the season about H.H. Holmes. Uh, which has uh, been a, a pretty popular season for us. And you can check it out. You can just learn more about it if you want to at uh, patreon.com slash American Hauntings. Um, you can use our promo code for the podcast. It's just the word podcast. When you're doing any shopping at AmericanHauntings.net or at AmericanHauntingsClothing.com, um, it's 10% off. Uh, we're just giving things away pretty much. Uh, so yeah, anyway. Uh, check out uh, anything we got going on. We've always got stuff going on in Alton. Dinnerandspirits.com. That's all of our dinner tours. Altonhauntings.com. That's all of our local tours. So check those out. And uh, we'll see you next time. We yeah. have a few more episodes to go. And we've said we said this before, but it is not an October thing. It is all it's right. year all round. Year long. If you want right. events and spooky shit, all year round. Yep. Um, yeah, so this episode of the American Hauntings Podcast was written by Troy Taylor and is produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. We hope you've enjoyed this Return to Alton podcast and will be with us as we present 10 episodes of the history, hauntings, legends, and lore from one of the most haunted small towns in America. Thanks for listening. We couldn't and definitely wouldn't do it without you. So until next time, goodbye. So long. See you later.